hi, howdy ho, and welcome to Cast That Movie, the podcast where uh, two regular old Joes uh, go back in time and re- we revisit a failed cinematic project from the past. Uh, we discuss what went wrong, and then we come up with a new cast and a new visionary director to try to fix uh, that project and maybe make it less of a crap bomb than it was at the time. Uh, we play some games, and then we also dream up a, a, a cinematic project we would like to see made into a film, a dream project, if you will, and we cast that also. I am joined, as always, by the tango to my cash. Mr. Tom Van Horton, welcome back, Tom. Hey, I'm back. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. I'm feeling great. And we did take off uh, uh, an episode last, well, I say last week, but two weeks ago when our last episode was scheduled. Give you a little time to recoup, and I think we'd put out, what, like 14, 15 in a row, so I think we are all entitled to a little bit of a, a break. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But we're fresh and uh, ready to go. Um, we do have a couple projects to throw at you. Uh, I will first announce what we are doing for our recast. Uh, that is going to be the 1986 uh, piece of shit called Maximum Overdrive, written and directed by Stephen King. Uh, I watched this for the first time today. This was your recommendation. Thanks. Um, <laughs> so, yes, we are going to go and uh, discuss what went wrong. Um <laughs> I can think of a few things off the top of my head without even diving into the history, but thankfully you did dive into the history and have all the deets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, Tom, why don't you tell everybody what are we doing for our original dream project this episode? Yeah, the original dream project I think is pretty, you know, for the time, it's pretty timely, but it's an amazing book. And it's part of the Fear and Loathing uh, Hunter S. Thompson series, Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail 72. Mm-hmm. Okay. That is the game plan. Uh, so it's been a while since we've done an original episode, but we do like to start by uh, going over any corrections, uh, anything like that from previous episodes, ideally the one uh, you know prior to the one we're recording now. Uh, do you have anything you need to bring up? Because uh, you haven't had a chance to address it here for a while. Anything <laughs> that uh, <laughs> uh, we need to correct or amend or redact? <clears throat> no, I, you know, the last episode I listened to was with you and uh, Joe, and you pretty much nailed it. Like, when I <laughs> came to my Sasha Baird going, uh, not pick, just that deflated me for the rest of the episode. Yeah, that was, uh, that was really self-defeating. Yeah, <laughs> that was uh, Sasha Baron Cohen as Frank Zappa during the Senate committee hearings of 1985 on uh, inappropriate lyrics or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, it took the wind out of your sails. Good thing that was the second project we did that episode. Otherwise, the rest of it, you might have uh, be- been too uh, wounded to continue on. It was rough. That was a rough one, yeah. Um, I-, I thought Joe's picks about his favorite episodes, the ones he wanted to talk about, were really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the two, uh, the two I-, I wasn't surprised by him choosing that one. I was also not surprised uh, by him choosing... I'm blanking on it now, but it was, it seemed so obvious at the time. Oh, the, uh, King of Kong. Yep. Um, or Billy Mitchell story, whatever we ended up calling it. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, the one that did catch me a little bit off guard, uh, well, and I can't even remember it now cause it caught me so off guard. What was the third one he wanted? Oh to- shit. Yeah. It's doing the same thing to me, but I was surprised by it as well. Cause it was, I thought it was kind of a sleeper episode. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
Yeah. All right, let's go to our first <laughs> ad break. Uh, we're going to come back, and we're going to dive into some casting news. Now, I have an item, and I understand you have one as well. Yes. Uh, we have not shared uh, our items with each other, so it may be the same. It may not. We're going to find out right after this break. Hi, my name is Theodora Mills, the biological daughter of Ted Mills, here to tell Tom Van Horton to stop shitting on my dad. Sure, I don't live with him, my mom doesn't love him, and I barely love him, but enough is enough. Tom, stop shitting on my dad, now. Also, please go to Ted Mills Rocks store. I want my child support money this month. Shitheads! Welcome back to Cast That Movie. Uh, it's time for some casting news, Tom. Casting news. Casting news. Casting news. All right, so casting news. <laughs> as I teased before the break, we both have an item uh, have not shared with each other, and you said you want me to start it off, so I will. Uh, so Peter Pan has been made into at least off the top of my head, I want to say three or four like live-action adaptations, right? Yeah, I think the latest one was with um, uh, Hugh Jackman, right? I think you're right, yeah. And then there, uh, I know Jason Isaacs played Hook in, in, I think it was just called Peter Pan. That was, God, that must have been like 15 years ago now. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Robert Carlyle from Train Spotting played Hook in a, in a, I think it was just called Pan or something. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah something like or, that. Or the Hugh Jackman one was Pan, whatever. Yeah, Hugh Jackman, Pan. I think it was Lost Boys or something, or like, I don't remember what yeah. it was. They were all pretty forgettable, I think, is the point. Yes. But they're going back to that well, because Disney, uh, which is seemingly obsessed with remaking all of their old animated uh, films, was it done with Aladdin, Lion King, uh, are now doing, yep, and are now doing Peter Pan and Wendy is what it's going to be called. Uh, Yeah, the casting of Peter Pan and Wendy, I don't think is worth discussing. They're no-name kid actors, probably never heard of. Um, Tinkerbell is going to be black is a change. Uh, and the, but the casting I wanted to discuss because of the role being what it is, um, Jude law has been cast as captain James hook. That sounds terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of our King Arthur episode, we talked a little bit about Jude law during that. Now you're not as big a Jude law fan as me. Clearly. No, clearly. I will say I also have some reservations about this. I like Jude Law. It's hard. I mean, I think about who's played Captain Hook. Dustin Hoffman played him in Hook. And then Which we I think is about, the best Hook um, live action movie. I think it's, well, yeah, maybe. But, I mean, I think maybe it's probably the best Hook because it seems the most like the animated version of Hook, which is the one that we all kind of grew up, grew up knowing. With. Yeah, fair enough. Like, so it's a lot of weight to try to take over that role and do it well. Now I thought I did see the Jason Isaacs version. I mean, it wasn't a great movie, but I thought he was good in it. Cause I'm also a big Jason Isaacs fan and he had that, you know, kind of got that evil look about him. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I agree. Um, but uh, yeah. So Jude laws, 
just too pretty. I think is 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 my concern. Um, he doesn't have he's that menacing. Man. Yeah, doesn't he's have that menacing man. side. So. Yeah, and I know people are gonna want to glo- you know we uh, gonna gloss over it. I'm gonna say my piece on the on the on the um, black Tinkerbell thing. Mm-hmm. People get so upset with this. That's uh, ridiculous. And. It's ridiculous. Um, you know, people are upset uh, with the new Doom movie coming out because one of the minor characters is being changed from a male to a female. Mm. And it, it doesn't matter, right? These aren't, it, it, these are just, again, it's been done so many times. Do you really want to just see the same thing over and over and over? I mean, part of this whole thing of redoing these movies is to get a different interpretation of it. I mean, I've seen people up in arms that they're doing the new um, all-black Golden Girls. Who the fuck cares, right? Jude Law's hook, though, is... I don't know what they're going for. <laughs> um, it's interesting to me because it makes me think they're take, going to take Hook in maybe a different direction than normal, which could be somewhat interesting, even though I'm not a Jude Law fan. Um, I see. I, I find that hard to believe that they're going to do that, though, because all these adap- these live action remakes, and they are essentially remakes, seem to be so close to. I mean, Lion King was basically shot for shot remake. It was, but Aladdin was different, and Mulan was different for a lot of bad reasons. Mm. So, who knows? I mean, I think Disney is in a weird place right now. I think they're Mm -hmm. still reeling from the whole buying up um, LucasArts, buying up Marvel. I think they just bought out Fox, or at least got the X-Men and that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're throwing all these different things at these boards and trying to figure out a formula that works because right now outside of outside of the Marvel projects Marvel's had a lot I mean Disney's had a lot of misses. Mm. Well all I can say on the Tinkerbell thing to tie it up is do you really want to see Julia Roberts be Tinkerbell again cuz I sure fucking don't. Oh my god, no. The director of Hook didn't want to see her on it. He wanted to fire her. Because she really? was so awful on, oh, God, yeah, she was terrible on set. Yeah, what the, I meant to bring that up another time, but, yeah, there's a huge thing on that. He tried to get her fired. Hmm, maybe we'll do Hook on the next episode. I think that, that didn't do all that great, if I remember I'm, right. I'm fine with that, so there you go. There's our teaser, folks, you're going to do well, Hook. Well, no, I say that, but we just talked about a Peter Pan movie being made right now, uh, so maybe well, not. But that's a remake, that's not the dream project. Yeah, well, it wouldn't be a dream. We'd be going back in yeah. time to the yes. hook. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It'd be a recast. All right, well, we'll figure that out. We'll think about it. We'll think. Well, what's your item? What do you have for us to discuss? <laughs> so this should be no shock to you. Mm. Uh, there's a movie called Tales of the Dark Side coming out. <laughs> uh, you familiar with this movie at all there, Joan? Oh, Tales of the Dark. Yeah, it sounds semi-familiar. Uh, it stars Corey Feldman and Brett the Hitman Hart. Oh, God. <laughs> And yes. it's going to be a trilogy. Um, also in it is Gabriel Jarrett, Zachary Vasquez, and Tom Maloney. It's being directed by Barry G. Giles, who is known for some really low-grade, straight-to-DVD projects. Mm. Um, I, I, I've seen the, the, the trailer for it. Uh, and... Um, it's going to be interesting. Brett the Hitman Heart, I'm excited to see in it because 
he is still the play. His character seems completely batshit and just screams at everybody in every single part of the trailer. He has no calm breath to Hitman Heart that we saw in the ring. Like it is batshit breath to Hitman Heart. So and um uh, and as, like, making an announcement there, I am on the credits as well for this movie as I am an associate producer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how did that come about? If you want to tell uh, everybody, ninety five dollar crowdfund. <laughs> <laughs> But it came with its own IMDb page, so there's that. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not going to badmouth the project that you're now actively a part in. Come on, <laughs> badmouth it. But uh, I will say it sounds like it's right up your alley. Mm. Dude, it's going to be a shit show. But I think it's going to be entertaining uh, for the the wrong reasons, right? Like, right. this is just, you know what you're getting into with something like this. Right. Okay, let's get into our uh, blast up from the past. Uh, We are going back in time, as I said, to 1986, to Stephen King's, literally all Stephen King's, he wrote and directed uh, this Mm -hmm. steaming pile of crap called Maximum Overdrive. Uh, As I said earlier, I watched this for the first time today, and it is atrocious, really bad. Uh, Go ahead. I was going to say, I was going to invite you to jump in and kind of give us the backstory here before uh, we talk about it further and get into who we, how we would even try to go about fixing something like this. But why don't you tell us what went wrong, Tom? What went wrong with Maximum? Well, first, first off, before I get into it, you, you mentioned that you saw a few problems even without getting into it. So I want to hear what you think is wrong with it, and I'll talk about what made it bad. Let's do that. So what, sure. what, what did you do that? What, what did you think? Well, it was, okay, the, 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 the premise... First off, the plot is god-awful. It makes no sense. Um, Machinery coming to life as part of an alien plot to wipe out humans. If if aliens are so advanced that they can cast a spell over all machinery on Earth, would they really need to do that? You'd think they'd have a, a lot easier, quicker, more surefire method to achieve their ends. So plot-wise, it made no sense. Uh, the pacing was really awkward at times, really clunky, um, and the, the dialogue was, I mean, there, there's a lot of bad 80s dialogue in a lot of movies made in the 80s, so you're going to get that uh, a lot of times with movies, especially like mid-80s to late 80s, like just some really bad dialogue, because pop culture was just going through some weird shift or something i don't know if it was like beach culture all of a sudden like stupidity dumbing down of everything you know pop culture wise i mean the music too um acdc i thought was actually a great choice because acdc is to music what maximum overdrive is to film so that was appropriate (laughs) um I mean, obviously, the direction was terrible. I would, I would venture to guess Stephen King would admit that, you know, the directing was was just awful. Um, all around, Emilio Estevez, <laughs> I, I could, I felt bad for him. From mm. he, he was, uh, he he was at this was Breakfast Club, Emilio Estevez, mm-hmm. and he got probably got roped in because it's like, oh, a Stephen King original project, it's going to be huge. His first one. Mm-hmm. It was, a, and that's just surface stuff. So, like I said, behind the scenes, we uh, it's no secret, this is it, Stephen King, like that era, and he's admitted that his drug use was off the charts at that time. Mm-hmm. 
why don't you tell us uh, what I'm what I what I didn't see on my screen? Well, first of all, you've nailed some of it uh, in terms of the drug use with Stephen King, and I'll get into that. But um, Maximum Overdrive was based on a short story um, from one of Stephen King's collections. That he, you know, he used to put out those collections of short mm-hmm. stories, and it was a story called Trucks. And in that one, it was about basically six vehicles that became uh, came basically became sentient or controlled and trying to kill people. And in the book, in the short story, it's played very, very straight um, with no levity. And uh, with maximum overdrive, he, you know, first of all, it wasn't a completed, uh, the, the whole story trucks could not make a movie. It's so short. Mm-hmm. And, so he tried to turn it into this movie, and he, as you said, trying to appeal to the masses. Um, so, you know, they tried to bring this thing out. And, yes, Stephen King straight up admitted that he was so high on coke during the majority of the production. He had never written, he had never, like, full-out written a full-on movie uh, screenplay. He'd never messed around with... Um, uh directing and the studio gave him a lot of leeway and didn't have a lot of rails for him to be on so you know in that regards it just was set up to fail the one rail they put up was they only gave it a nine million dollar budget now keep in mind you have as you mentioned breakfast club emilio estevez it's not cheap acdc um, they that was Stephen King's favorite band. Their album "Who Made Who" was released as this maximum overdrive soundtrack at the time. So that wasn't cheap to get ACDC, and they made it. They basically built their album around this the hits for this movie, which included the songs "Who Made Who," "You Shook Me All Night Long," and "Hell's Bells." So that wasn't cheap. Um, so when you took away a lot of what the budget was, there wasn't a whole lot Stephen King could work with. And then the original cut of it, the MPAA went ham hock on that and said, you have to cut this out. 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 And there wasn't a budget for reshoots. So there was just a lot of awkward cuts and where the pacing kind of came in, as you talked about, mm-hmm. um, became kind of an issue in the way that they had to basically re-edit the movie. And uh, Stephen King did come out and admit that I'll never do it again. It was a terrible experience. I have no business directing movies. And I was so fucked up on Coke. I don't remember making the movie, to be frankly honest with you in an interview. He doesn't remember making the movie. Good. <laughs> Good. He doesn't need yeah. that memory. But he recognizes that it was a terrible movie. Now, the movie, when it came out, was a $9 million budget, made approximately $6 million. So that's, I mean, they thought that on this $9 million budget, that even if it failed, it was going to make its money back. Mm-hmm. It did not. <laughs> I mean, that's a really bad failure when you put in a $9 million budget and only get back six. I mean, and we're talking, you know, this is, I mean, it's 1986. Nine million dollars is not was not a lot of money movie wise in right. 1986 either. No, no. I mean, I couldn't imagine. I mean, making a nine million dollar movie. Um, to give you an idea, uh, the late the the not the latest, but like there was a um, a Hellraiser movie 
called Hellraiser. Um, I don't remember uh, Retribution or something. It was absolutely terrible. It was a can project where what means is is that they were going to lose the rights to the name, so they had to throw mm-hmm. out a movie. They put nine million dollars into the budget. They said, "Here, nine million dollars, put out this movie," and it was a piece of shit. It was filmed like a um, part found footage, so it could be really cheap. So yeah, nine million is not a lot to work with in in money wise. There was a scene in this film. I, I use the term film loosely. Uh-huh. There was there was a scene in this film where uh, one of the possessed semis like gets or goes off the road, right, and eventually like explodes. But you can see it's like starting to light on fire as it's going off the road. Like, oh god, it was. I mean, it, the worst part is we've talked about this. I don't know how this becomes a cult movie to anybody because the one sin that bad movies are not supposed to commit is being boring, right? And there are mm-hmm. so many lulls in this. In this. The, the love story was just not existent. Like, oh, hi, nice to nice to meet you. I am attracted to you. Like, what the fuck? Who says that? Yeah, it's it was the love. Yeah, the the, the love thing was not, so. Great, great point. How did this become a cult classic? Well, because it was such a fucking bomb and it was so cheap, um, they, ba- you know, it. TBS and TNT back in the 80s were known for playing basically three movies, which was Beastmaster, 48 Hours, and Maximum Overdrive. So this played on shitty tbs and tnt during the day all the time on the weekends i mean i mean it was not uncommon as a kid to see this on that channel three times in in the same day and that's how it built up its cult status was from uh early 80s cable television Mm, the dark ages of cable tv the dark Um, ages of cable tv all right so now we know what went wrong everything and why this is what it is uh, let's talk about what we would do differently to try to fix <laughs> fix maximum overdrive. Um, <laughs> so glad you finally saw this movie. Honestly, <laughs> uh, I want I want you to start uh, since this is your pick. Uh, who is taking over the reins from Stephen King? Yeah. So in in my version of the movie, this is more. I mean, we're gonna play off the fact that it is a Stephen King novel right so we're going to be able to get some names because it's a stephen king um you know stephen king was huge in the 80s everyone knew his name everyone loved his shit um so but i want this to be more straight like trucks like being more terrifying Mm -hmm. and in the 80s there were several there was a few directors that you could really count on for being horrifying and i went with one that i think is underrated and yet probably put out some one of the more terrifying movies uh, uh, at the time or early on in his career. I went with Toby Hooper. Mm, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so I went in a different direction. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's, there's this thing that uh, professional sports teams do sometimes uh, in order to uh, – they essentially – try to bottom out uh, in order to uh, qualify for better draft picks or to free up money in a budget or to try to rebuild, restructure. I mean, that's where the analogy ends with film. 
But this movie only ever had a chance for being a cult hit. And it's that's what I don't like is that it became one uh, because I don't think it earns that. It could have, though, uh, in the right hands, and if it had tried harder to find the bottom instead of even trying. I mean, I, I get it was based on a straight work, like in a, a, in a, a sobering telling of Trucks Gone Wild. Um, but that concept is so stupid on its face that you, that you can't go anywhere but dumb with it, is my feeling. So I went with somebody who took a very dumb concept right around this era and turned it into a cult classic that deserves its stature. I am having Ron Underwood of Tremors fame take over. Ooh, ooh, very good. Very good. Yeah, he knows what he's doing with low-budget um, stuff mm-hmm. like that. So that's awesome. Okay. All right. So then who is your Robertson? Who is your Emilio in, in, mm-hmm. in this Tremors world? Okay. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure you and I have talked about Fred Ward. Now, he's not my pick, but we've talked about Fred Ward on here, I believe. I think you tried to didn't you, you tried to cast him in the King Arthur movie, was I, it? I believe something? it was. Yes, yes. I like Fred Ward. I personally like Fred Ward. Um, I like him in, in, in a certain light. We'll put it that way. But he's not my pick. Uh, he wouldn't really fit, fit, you know, to take over that role. Um but I went in a similar direction, an actor of a very limited range uh, who, you know, he wasn't a big name during this time, uh, but he was a recognizable face, I guess. Uh, and it's taking it's like taking Emilio Estevez and it's watering him down to where I don't know. I, I, I better stop. I'm, I'm really insulting this guy. Anyway, I went with Willie Ames. <laughs> <laughs> I went with Willie Ames, uh, Buddy Lembeck from Charles and Charles. Yep, 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 yep. Wow. <laughs> like you totally gave him the Clint Howard treatment. <laughs> there. You just totally gave him a bunch of backhanded compliments. Uh, I think I think I think he'd be he'd bring a cheesiness that I don't think Emilio Emilio could do. He was too serious of an actor, and he was too his career was too good. He couldn't do that, so he tried to do what he could with the material. Willie Ames will do whatever you tell him to do for the paycheck. Oh, uh, yeah, he will. So oh, Willie yeah. Ames is my bill. Who's your, who's your bill? So, wow, my bill feels completely like, like out of, wow, um, uh, after, after that. So, again, I went with um, someone who was younger um, and I felt could do a, a combination of being able to play kind of out of, uh, you know, because really the main character is just completely out of his depth, right? He is a mm-hmm. chef. <laughs> he's a felon chef, uh, ex-con chef, and he's in this position and he's just absolutely terrified. But there's some semblance of intelligence of how he's handling it, right? Mm-hmm. So I picked a, a fish-out-of-style water, uh, uh, fish-out-of-water style, Michael J. Fox. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, I don't think we're that far off. We're both picking 80 sitcom stars. Oh yeah. To help oh, with yeah. Stephen Stephen King horror movies. So that's interesting. Um this 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 would have been pre No, this would have been after Back to the Future, right? Would have been around Back to the Future, I believe. I think it was Back to the Future was either in 80 uh, That's a good question. When did Back to the Future come out? It was like uh, 80, 85, I want to say. 
It was 85. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So this would have been in production around the same time. Um, okay. You know, probably would have been gone right into this after um, after he did Back to the Future. So it wouldn't have been quite the star he was yet. Right. And he was still doing family ties, too. So. Yep. Um, okay. So he's your Bill. Who's your uh, Brett? Who's his love interest? So this would have been interesting. Um, I personally, in the 80s, love this actress i think she's like the quint one of the quintessentials when i think of 80 actresses mm -hmm. she's one of the quintessential 80 actresses and again she's kind of weird and aloof and can i feel like could have brought some of that to this that brett didn't that the, that the actress that was in it um who later went on to do uh like devil's advocate whatnot i can't remember her name off the top of my head yeah. um i went with gina davis okay uh so my picks, again, I'm trying to bottom this out. I am, yep. I am, you know, that's usually not what we do. You know, instead of cast that movie, I'm I'm trying to destroy this movie. Um, <laughs> You're so hateful of this movie. <laughs> but it's because it's the only way I feel it could have been a success. Um, okay. So I went for my Brett with... Uh, uh, have you ever seen just one of the guys? <laughs> oh God, yeah, I've seen just one of the guys. Great movie. Joyce Joyce Heiser is my Brett. All right, I could I could see her with Willie Haynes. <laughs> 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 not with my, not with Michael J. Fox. With <laughs> Haynes. All right. <sighs> so then I let's get to the annoying two characters. Let's get to <laughs> Connie and Curtis. <laughs> I was excited to have you cast these. Let's. So, Yes, let's. let's get to your, let's start with your Connie. Who is your Connie? Yeah, so uh, those who have had the fortune of not seeing this movie, um, Yeardley Smith played Connie, voice of Lisa Simpson, mm -hmm. um, which every time she talked, I just heard Lisa Simpson. And I mean, I yes. get it. This was like f three, four years before The Simpsons was a thing, but still. Um, so I went with, I mean, yeah, she was meant to be grating, annoying, uh, all these terrible attributes that, uh, you know, the stereotype that they were trying to pull off there. So I went with like, one of the most annoying voices I've ever heard. Because, uh, again, I'm taking this and I'm going, I'm, I'm just shoving this down the toilet. It. I think I know where you're going with it. I went with Victoria Jackson. Yeah, Victoria Jackson. Yeah, God, she's a shit show. Uh, and has just a terrible voice. All right, well, I... Went in a, she's not awful, but I definitely wanted someone that I think could play annoying, and I find her annoying. Um, no mm -hmm. offense. Um, I went with Melanie Griffith. Okay. Oh, you got a A-list cast here, huh? I went with someone of an A-list cast, yeah. I mean, A-list for the 80s. A-list for the 80s, yes. Yeah. Okay, so who's her husband? Who's Curtis? <laughs> this is where it drops. <laughs> this is where we take a turn. Because I want... Because Curtis and Connie were just kind of like... I never understood their dynamic, right? And they're just, just this weird couple, kind of this odd couple in my mind. And I wanted to keep that a little bit and, you know, make it really odd. <clears throat> I went with Fatty Baldwin. I went with <laughs> William Baldwin. <laughs> Billy. Billy Baldwin. <laughs> I went with Booger. Oh, I love Booger. I, I love, love him. Curtis Armstrong? Booger. Yeah, Curtis Armstrong and Victoria Jackson are my, my Connie and Curtis. That would have been an 80s power couple. That's <laughs> some 80s power couple right there, dude. Uh, yeah, okay. 
So, <laughs> <laughs> who's your who's your ender shot? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! All right. Um, so I don't know. I I I somehow glean this like just I didn't do like a deep dive research into this, but I did get this fact out of like just looking up. Uh, you know the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pat H- Hingle, I believe his name is the played Henderson. He actually loved Wilmington so much while filming this movie that he ended up moving there until he died. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. Now, I thought he did a fine job for what he was trying to do. Uh, my pick would just take that and again, just, it, yeah, I, I, I've explained what I'm trying to do. My pick should illustrate it. I went with Sorrel Book, uh, best known from the Dukes of Hazard. Boss Hogg? It's Boss Hog. <laughs> we were somewhat in the same vein here. I went with Danny DeVito. <laughs> yep, I went with Danny DeVito. I went with someone that just was just a crummy, you know, kind of a surly motherfucker that just, yeah. Okay. So similar, I could consider that a similar vein, even though Danny DeVito is much talented. They kind of play similar curmudgeonly characters. Yeah, but in the age difference, too, it would be the yeah. other big difference, especially DeVito in 86. But he's still, um, DeVito looked, let's be honest, DeVito always looks old. And now he looks young, which is crazy. <laughs> it's a Benjamin Button thing he's got it going is. on. He's got the Benjamin Button thing going All on. All right, rounding out our cast, then, who do you have playing Deke, the all-American lad who we follow on his journey to whatever? Yeah, so I picked um, someone that, you know, I, I don't think I'm ever going to get the opportunity to pick this person again. But now that, now that we're kind of looking at this, I don't know if I want him in this either. Um, but I, I picked the one and the only River Phoenix. Oh, yeah, we're not burning River Phoenix on this. Yeah, no, I don't think so. No, uh, no, we're burning Ricky Schroeder. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> we're fucking burnt there's nothing ever i'm gonna want to cast ricky schroeder in again um but yeah he can play a kid on his bike <laughs> riding away from a killer lawnmower any day oh um, god schroeder yeah <laughs> oh. we're not i mean we'd never cast him in an adult role no let's be honest no god no this i don't see like, myself i mean that'd be like us casting fucking um zach <laughs> in an adult role <laughs> Wouldn't be casting Zach and shit. It'd be like it'd be like us casting Leo uh, Leo DiCaprio in a, in this role. You know, it'd be like yeah. you know, it'd be a yep. waste. Um, so yeah, Rick, Ricky Schroeder uh, posts silver uh, silver spoons. Ricky Schroeder is my deke. Um, and then you wanted to too add Green Goblin is the 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 what the the face of the the big bad truck. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's the face of the big bad truck, and it's so be menacing. And the entire time, I'm just thinking, did they get how much did they pay for the rights of Spider Man, which also went against the nine million dollar budget? <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what if you were to, if you were to pick something other than that? What would you choose? I would pick. I think like, uh, I, I think I'd go with either like a clown, like a mm-hmm. really happy clown, or I would go with like a big baby's face. Like a baby doll. I, you and I were on the same page on that one. I went with a creepy clown. Like you can do that and not pay rights for it, right? Right. Like you could you could change a clown around, and I think that would have totally worked for this. Would have freed up some money for Ricky Schroeder. <laughs> you freed up that Ricky Schroeder money. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, let's talk. <laughs> oh, first one back, and we're doing maximum overdrive. All right, let's talk about our directors. Um, again, we went in two very different directions. These oh, yeah. are always the hardest to 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 go over. Um, first off, I want to ask you: Do you want to really burn any of your picks on this project? This is a tough one. Um, I'm going to give you a clean sweep, sir. Okay, I thought I- you might because I mean. I don't know. I I still rack my brain that you could make in 1986 that you could make this anything other than like high high camp. Um, if we I were talking about a remake, I, then maybe. But what's that? If we were talking about a remake of it and trying to like, you know, with modern technology and you know modern cinematography, I think you know in, in a modern audience, I think maybe we could we could devise a way to get there. In 1986, I think a film being what it was, I mean, that was a cesspool, the mid-80s. I mean, there was a few standouts, obviously, but um, this kind of exemplified how bad film... This the, Stephen King basically wrote a movie of what he thinks a movie is supposed to look like, and that's the problem. Yes. Yes. So, um, yeah. so yeah, Ron Underwood is director... Willie Ames and Joyce Heiser as Bill and Brett. <laughs> Victoria Jackson and Curtis Armstrong as Connie and Curtis. Boss Hogg as Hendershot. And Ricky Schroeder as Deke. And I am not proud of this victory at all. Uh, you know, here's the thing. Here's the thing with this. You bring up a valid point. But there were movies like somewhat like this that were out and worked um, in the 80s. You had to do it right, though. Um <clears throat> You know, um, the the movie Driver, I think it was, um, was one of them. There was a lot of those like killer truck movies that were big in the eighties and seven in the late seventies, early eighties. Mm. Um, you know, with practical effects, I think if it had been, I think, you, but I, again, I don't think they would have spent the kind of money that would have been needed to make mm-hmm. this good in nineteen eighty six. Again, you had Stephen King. Who like if Stephen King were to direct something now or write something now for a movie, mm-hmm. their the the budget that they would put on it would have been insane, and yes. and they just didn't do that here. So <clears throat> yeah, I think there was a lot of problems. I think the studio didn't have faith in it. I, obviously, Steve, I mean, well, probably because they did one meeting with a coked out Stephen King and went, this isn't going to go anywhere, guys. Uh, hey, hey, Stephen, here's nine million. Go make a movie. You don't blow it all on coke, please. Yeah, right. Right. And yeah, how much of it went to the coke budget? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I think you bring up a valid point that in 1986, there was no way that this was going to be anything other than a fucked up mess. Yeah. Did do did you see in, in any of your research like is, has Emilio Estevez spoken on this or indicated you know his his thoughts on what he took away from it all these years later has he ever revisited you know, I his see, time I looked for, I looked for something and I didn't see anything but you know I, I maybe I just didn't search it right um, I'm just gonna go um, I'm gonna give it it's, real it's quick it's probably just a black stain on on his filmography that he doesn't talk about doesn't want to talk about if i had my guess nothing out there with like him talking about maximum overdrive or um you know i mean i have a picture of him autograph with an autograph photo of of the of the thing (laughs) uh, of the of the movie poster with him but no um no absolutely not 
good for him. Leave yeah. the past in the past. There's no reason to, to relive, relive this. Yeah. I don't blame him whatsoever. All right. That's maximum overdrive. Um, I think uh, we've over, overdriven this. Oh, you have something else to add? I do, and I forgot to bring this up, and this is on me. So this was around the time that Dino Laurinaitis was buying up studios and was becoming a big producer, and this was one of the first ones that he did. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, there was that. Uh, there is there is one other thing. You talk about casting. Um, they, <laughs> Stephen King originally wanted... Um, Bruce Springsteen to play the Emilio Estevez role. What? Yep. He originally wanted Bruce Springsteen to act in it. And the only reason that uh, it didn't happen is that Dino DeLaurinaitis had no idea who Bruce Springsteen was in 1986. Oh, God. That's for the better. And one other thing um, that there's been rumors, although nothing confirmed, that George A. Romano, 9-11 Dead, Zombie, yeah, all those Romero, movies. Yeah. Yep, Romero may have ghost-directed the film. Mm-hmm. That he, that they, a lot of people point to some of the editing and camera work of it um, and some of the shots and say that's very Romero-esque. Um, but I don't think so because the directing was just i mean it's the it was all over the board yeah stephen king's a pretty big cinephile i think it was just him thinking what how would george romero stage this i'm just gonna do that because i don't know what i'm doing yeah absolutely yes all right enough enough of this piece of shit (laughs) all right all right right, let's take uh, another break and then we're gonna come back and play a game and uh get to our original dream project we will be back in one minute sorry that was a very abrupt end which, you know what else had a very abrupt end? Maximum overdrive. Hi. Ted Mills here for Ted Mills Rock Store. So, did you know more people rock rockses more than boxes? I did. That's why I closed the box store and opened the rock store. So, I have many types of rocks, like roundish rocks, smoothish rocks, pointy rocks, sharp rocks, and all kinds of rocks. So, come on down. The Ted Mills Rock Store, now located on the lower east side of the dumpster behind Pomida. You know the place. And see me, Ted Mills, for all your rocks uh, and rocks needs. Welcome back to Cast That Movie, and we are uh, going to play game, Tom. Game, game time. time. Game time. All right, we, uh, we're going to do another top three list. Uh, we've been having some fun with these. And uh, this time, we're going to do the top three movies where Nazis get slaughtered in mass. Yeah. Nazis get their ass handed to them. Yes. We need more of that in the world. 
Yeah, this is a little too timely, honestly, that we we have to say it's timely is very depressing. Um, but yeah, fuck Nazis. Let's talk fuck about Nazis. movies that kill a lot of them and which ones are our favorites. Sure. Uh, you go first, Tom. What's your third favorite movie where Nazis get the shit kicked out of them? My third favorite Nazi movie where they get the shit kicked out of them is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, classic. A, yeah, classic. There's a lot of Nazi burnings. There's a lot of anti-Nazi overtones in the movie. Fucking love it. Yeah, they die in some gruesome fashions, too. So that's mm-hmm. great. Uh, mm-hmm. My my number three is a little more obscure, uh, and it's actually a modern, more of a modern story. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's called Green Room. With Patrick Stewart? With Patrick Stewart, yep. I have not seen it. It's been on my radar. It's one of those things that I want to watch. Mm-hmm. I just know I need to be in a mood to watch it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm really excited to see it, though. Well, if you're in a mood to watch Nazis Die Terribly, uh, this is a great pick. Uh, for those who haven't seen it, I'm sure there are many. Uh, basically, Patrick Stewart plays the leader of a neo-Nazi group uh, that more or less a punk band finds themselves uh, captured by, and the punk band needs to fight their way out of captivity. Uh, it's one of Anton Yelchin's last roles, um, and it's great. And lots of Nazis die gruesome deaths. Wait, so, it's one of whose last roles? Anton Yelchin. Oh, yeah. Poor Anton Yelchin, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, for nothing else, see it for Patrick Stewart hamming it up as a neo-Nazi leader and Anton Yelchin uh, kicking ass because he was a great actor. and he was a great actor. Okay, so what's your number two? What's your number two, sir? Yep, number two, uh, uh, more modern, although it does take place in the past, um, a different tone than Green Room for sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's a movie because the Nazis thankfully lost the war uh, where a lot of Nazis die. Uh, uh, it's Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit. Yes, 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 yes. That's a good one. Um, that that is a great movie. Um, so my number two is a um, is an older film, um, but it's fucking fantastic. Um, the social commentary in it is amazing. Um, Surf Nazis must die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I yeah. Uh... I figure I, I would have put money on that being on your top three list for sure. Oh, God, it's, yes. Third it's Nazis. in your wheelhouse. Yep. It's in your mm-hmm. wheelhouse and it fits this list perfectly. Um, and they, and they must die. Yeah. Not Mama Washington goes on a killing spree. <laughs> <laughs> it breaks out of her retirement home so she can go kick some Nazi ass. Fuck yeah. It's amazing. All right. I, th- I, I am pretty confident we have the same number one. Yep. Do you feel that that's probably the case? I feel that there was no other way. Let's do it on three. Are you ready? Yep. One, two, three. Inglorious Bastards. Bastards. Yep, of course. Dude, the most cathartic scene, arguably, in movie history is them just unloading on Hitler and blowing him to bits. Literally to bits. It's amazing. Yeah, and and, while being part Jew, the the Jew bat um, was also... Uh, quite uh, uh, fascinating, yeah. wonderful for me. <laughs> he just comes out of that tunnel with the bat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I love that movie. It's yeah, it that movie deserves every all the awards, all the awards for all any the awards. ever made. All it the is, awards. It should be required. It should be required viewing in schools, as far as it, I'm concerned. Uh, it should be. Um, it just, I mean, 
and especially if you uh if you do any it should be required for any um film study class oh i think i think for history i think you know you you make it clear that this isn't how it played out but this is how the nazis should be handled this is how it should have ended and (laughs) going forward this is how you handle a nazi you just shoot him several times in the face (laughs) i mean Kinda. I mean, we had a world war over it, and mm-hmm. we were against the Nazis, and we wanted to eliminate all the Nazis. So, yeah, I feel pretty strong. I think we both feel the same way. That yeah, it's a very we're cons- firmly we're firmly anti-Nazi here at Cast That Movie. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, from what I hear, except what Ted Mills, from what I hear, but that's a different story. He's not part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> he could be, but he's like all right. Not. Fuck them. All right, moving on. Let's do our original dream project, and it is Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail, another Hunter S. Thompson adventure. Um, Tom, why don't you tell us what is this all about? Yeah, so I'm going to start with something um, that was taken from a Slate magazine. Um, I I paraphrased it a little bit here where they talked about Hunter S. Thompson's, this particular book. Mm-hmm. Early in the book, Hunter S. Thompson con- confronts McGovern's New Hampshire campaign manager, Joe Gramason, who was badgering the, poll, uh, the, the Portly Poll about having been, uh, he was badgering him about having been Johnson's delegate in 1980, in 1968. If you know anything about McGovern and his run, you would understand why Hunter S. Thompson had been really confused that someone from Johnson would delegate in for him. Mm-hmm. And he said to him, let's talk about the word accountable. I get the feeling you stepped in the shit on this one, <laughs> on that one. What do you mean? Just because I was a Johnson delegate doesn't mean anything. I'm not running for anything. Good, I said to him. <laughs> <laughs> People often describe Hunter S. Thompson's dark and profane jokes as cynical humor. They're not getting it. In a way, Hunter S. Thompson is the polar opposite of a cynic. He's making a cartoon of things, but a cynic in a landscape like the Campaign Trail 72, which went into, which became basically the Bible for political journalism. Like anyone that is into political journalism will tell you that Fear and Loathing in the Campaign Trail 72 is required reading for that field. But the cynics, and Hunter S. Thompson points this out, are the Nixons, are the Ed Muskies, someone who just takes the fundamental dishonesty of the American political process and is able to just deal with it without horror and accept it. And that's Hunter, this is what drive Hunter, Hunter Thompson insane during his entire book. He, the book just goes through all these genuine surprises and outrage that people could swallow everything. The bogus marketing formula is like the ideal centrist candidate or could pull a lever for Nixon, a Barbie doll president full of his Barbie doll box children, (laughs) as he called it. At the very end of the book, when McGovern's cause is so obviously lost, um, Thompson's hope and belief still outweighed his rational calculation. He predicted a mere 5.5% margin of error for what he called the evil one, which was Nixon. Turned out to be 23% of a landslide. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what the whole idea of the book and what, what really is, when you sit back and look at it, is that it's amazing that Hunter 
part of this whole fear and loathing thing is he's trying to find truth, the honesty, the American way, right? His interpretation of it about truth and justice. And that he chose a presidential campaign to search for truth and justice and came out of it understanding that it doesn't exist anymore. And it's the last place in the world a sane man would go search for anything like it. Mm-hmm. So how much do you know about the 1972 campaign and what went on during that? Well, yeah, I mean, I think the easiest way to compare it is would you agree that McGovern was essentially kind of like the Bernie Sanders of his day um, as far as being the, the left-wing candidate, right? In a and, way, okay. Bernie Bernie Sanders is, I, I think Bernie Sanders isn't quite the modern McGovern. I think McGovern, McGovern out Bernie Bernie. Um, and what I mean by that is, is that in, ni- in 1972, the, the um, Democratic Party was very split. It was very fractured. And they came up with, um, uh, there was an anti- led by Southern Democrats, anybody but McGovern coalition. Um, and when he won the nomination, it was like, a, it really pushed a lot of what were once the quote Southern Democrats over to the Republican party and really created the, the what we know now as the Democrats, what splits the Democrats from the Republicans. Like McGovern forced all that to happen um even his own um one of his uh uh, people i think it was Muskie, came up with the three a's um acid abortions and amnesty because mcgovern ran on a legalized abortion campaign ran on a he wanted to give amnesty to draft dodgers and was okay with legalizing marijuana Mm. in 1972 and he won um, and that was, it took the entire nation, they, they, no one understood what happened. What destroyed him was the fact that he picked Thomas Eagleton mm-hmm. to be his running mate. Thomas uh, Eagleton had a lot of issues. Um, it came out that he, basically this is pre-HIPAA, nowadays if this came out, this would have caused a lot of problems, but even though Democrats were running stuff against him and pointed out that this guy's had multiple shock treatments, has been in and out of institutions and is a chronic drunk. And mm-hmm. you, you mean yeah. Republicans were running this against him? Oh, I mean Democrats. Oh, wow. Yep. For as underhanded as Nixon was and Nixon was so underhanded during this thing that he published a, uh, a letter um, to a newspaper Signed as Muskie, who was one of the people that that um, uh, he was concerned was going to get the nomination, and said that um, he called Canadians Canuck. He put out this thing, and no one fact checked it, but they ran it. Like that's how underhanded Nixon was during this election, and it was basically the Democrats that were pissed off at what the Democratic Party was becoming, tried to underhand what was going on, and we saw that again with Bernie. So, but it wasn't quite as extreme. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So and, did you have, mo- okay, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just a little bit more on that. Uh, you know, in this, in this, in this book, um, he, Hunter S. Thompson basically went insane. 
with this book. Now, one of the things I think gets lost on Hunter S. Thompson's work is people don't understand the exaggerations that he creates in it. Um, he creates a very cartoon world to, as he calls, you know, the, 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 you know, when the going gets tough, the tough get weird. Right. And that has become a incorrect anthem. I think for a lot of um, people that are like, Oh, you know, he did all these drugs. He did all these things, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of like when the Beatles showed up to, uh, when George Harrison showed up, uh, to check out Woodstock. And he said, I was expecting all this understanding, all these, all, all these things, all these crazy, you know, um, you know the, 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 this idea of this higher consciousness. And all I saw was a bunch of spotty dropout teenagers. They weren't getting what we were trying to do. And I feel like that gets lost on Hunter S. Thompson because there is a lot of exaggeration to what he does to make it somewhat entertaining. And he knows what he's doing there. But he was going through and going to all these different conventions. And, I mean, Nixon's people would not let him anywhere near him because they were getting the reports of what was coming out in Rolling Stone and things of that nature that he was writing for at the time. And he eventually was able to sneak in and talk to him in a bathroom. And they talked about football. And he said, that's the only level I could get on with Nixon was talking about football. Mm. Um, so if you haven't read this and you're interested in politics and political journalism, mm. you need to do it, but you need to read between the lines. But what was really interesting was Rolling Stone at the time knew that this was causing some uh, serious heartburn and some serious uh, breakdown on, on Hunter's end. And they, the fax machine had just come out in like, was brand new thing and they paid all this money and got him a fax machine for his room and there were times where um even in the book they say we couldn't organize this so we're just going to give you the transcripts that hunter s thompson sent because this was destroying hunter s thompson's ideal of what pol politics and what america should be and he was going through a massive cognitive dissonance during this entire book damn I mean, it sounds like it would make for an amazing movie. I would agree with that. And if, if you haven't read it, I strongly advise anyone listening, read that damn book. Mm -hmm. Well, let's cast that damn movie. Well, let's start with you, because I, I need to get some water and drink some. And, you know, I spoke a lot there. So who do you have as yep. your director? Yeah, we'll let you recharge. Um, so those familiar with the uh, movie Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas... Uh, and those who are fans of it know to know that a particular vision, visionary style or visual style really complements the Hunter S. Thompson story. Right. Um, now we can't cat or pick Terry Gilliam for obvious reasons. Cause that'd be a lazy and B, you know, we, we want to take a different take on it, but I don't want to get too far away from what Terry Gilliam would do, but you telling me about the, the mental breakdown of Hunter S. Thompson during all of this actually makes me like my pick a little more, to be honest with you. Uh, mm -hmm. I went with Charlie Kaufman. Ooh, okay. I think we're in a similar vein because I believe you have to go with an art house director for something mm -hmm. like this. And I, someone that can, I think can get, again, that visual style of being able to kind of sh show, not tell the things that are going on in Hunter S. Thompson. And the fact that you have to make this, crazy surreal world mm -hmm. i went with darren aronofsky okay yeah i had considered him as well um so then the, i guess the big ticket here 
Um, who do you have as Hunter S. Thompson? This was tough. And I'm not 100% sold on my pick, to be truly honest with you. But, <clears throat> you know, Johnny Depp did a great job mm-hmm. as Hunter S. Thompson. Um, there's a few nitpicky things that I have about it. Um, <clears throat> but I can't say anything because uh, jo- you know, Johnny Depp is a huge, huge and was a great friend of Hunter S. Thompson. Huge fan of his. And he did everything he could. And I think... For the time, it was great. There was a movie called Where the Buffalo Roam before that. That kind of tied in actually a little bit of this, but it was kind of this collection. It was kind of this weird blah, blah, blah. And they had Bill Murray as Henry yes. Thompson at the time, which was the best choice at the time. Um, I wonder if this is the best choice at the time, but it's someone that I would like to see take a stab at it because – I you, you might not think of him as a top A-list actor, but I've liked everything that he's in. And he, you know, this is a guy that he, um, I'm probably going to give it away here. Um, can do a lot of things um, and go all over the board from being serious to being funny with the Lonely Islands. Justin Timberlake. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I went in a very different direction. Uh, So I I went with a guy who just recently uh, came off a biopic. Now, I did not like the movie uh, that he was in, but I thought his portrayal of the lead character was gave me a lot of hope that he would be one of the better, if not the best choices to play a modern interpretation of Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, Mm -hmm. He played Elton John in Rocket Man. I went with Taron Egerton. Mm hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good choice too. That's a good choice too. Okay. So, um, where do you want to go from here? I don't know if we necessarily want to blow our Nixon right away. Okay. Do you want to start with maybe? Let's start with Musky. Do you want to go with Musky? Okay. Yeah, we'll go uh, lowest on the totem pole to the highest. Yeah. So let's start with Musky. Okay. First off, let me say I struggled with. All four of these uh, picks. We are so we're doing Nixon, McGovern, Humphrey, and Muskie, right? Correct. Um, I struggled with all of them. I, I wouldn't say I'm in love with all of them. One, I one I really like the rest of them. Eh. So this is one of my is, uh, but I like him as an actor. Um, you know, I think all of these would require a certain amount of makeup, which I'm okay with that, and that has been successful with you know uh, movies. You know that period movies and stuff mm-hmm. based on real characters. So I went with Richard Jenkins. Okay. Yep. I could see Richard Jenkins. So I do think this is weird. Cause I don't know if Darren Aronofsky has ever done a direct comedy. And, um, that's in my mind is what you'd have to do with this because you're pointing out the ridiculousness of what's going on while portraying the drug use and the craziness and everything that's going on here. So, um, for my, for my musky, <laughs> um, I picked Woody Harrelson. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who do you have for your Hubert Humphrey? Todd Packard himself. <laughs> David Kochner as my yeah. Hubert Humphrey. Who do okay. you got for Hubert? Yeah, I, I went back and forth on this. I eventually settled on Martin Freeman. Oh yeah, he could be a good he could be a good Humphrey. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And he'd another, be funny. Another one of my meh choices, to be honest. But yeah, I mean he'd you know, you'd have to bald him up a little bit, but um yeah, I could maybe get him there. 
moving on then to George McGovern. Now, this is the one I, I like the most of my four uh, of okay. these uh, political entities. Uh, for McGovern, I went with the always likable uh, Brian Cranston. So I like that. Um, I also, all my characters would be makeup. I went with Jason Bateman. Oh. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, with no further ado, who are we putting in Tricky Dick's shoes? Who's your Nixon? So again, my Nick's again, my movies are straight up weird ass Darren, Darren, uh, Darren, uh, comedy. Right. Mm-hmm. And I brought back other actors, um, before, uh, you know, I brought back Steve Kutenberg. I brought back mm-hmm. Clint Howard. Mm-hmm. I'm bringing back Dan Aykroyd. Okay. Yeah. I think Dan Aykroyd could be a damn good Nixon. Absolutely. Okay. And Nixon is, I guess, I mean, you did I, I went with talent here much less than I went with looks, um, which I think is okay because, I mean, Anthony Hopkins played Nixon looks nothing like him, and they made him look just like him. So mm-hmm. you can get there with the right makeup and hair. Uh, so I went with the guy that can play a great villain. He's known for it. It's definitely his wheelhouse. He's immensely talented. I went with Ian McShane. He is very talented. He's very, very talented. Okay. Wow, a lot to unpack on this one. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's start with our directors. What do you think? Um, if you're really wanting this to be a comedy, I would say Kaufman is proven he can be Do comedic it. and be, and again, I mean, if we're talking about a mental breakdown, that's his wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and I think Aronofsky would be too, I mean, his last movie was Mother, wasn't it? Yes, yes, yes. I believe so. Yes. And, you know, he goes for shock and crazy, right? Like mm-hmm. he, I don't know if he could do a comedy um, properly. Uh, so I'm going to give it to you on that one. And I feel also, I mean, not to pile on, but I feel also you're, we're trying, you're, you got to build off the fear and loathing in Las Vegas brand. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have another movie that starts with fear and loathing about Hunter S. Thompson, it's got to be in somewhat of a similar vein. It doesn't have to be the exact same vein, but, um, you know, it, if it's just a polar opposite. And again, I, I know you'd say he tries hand at comedy, but we don't know that he can even do comedy here. And I, I agree. Agree. Seems pretty humorless from what I've seen. Oh, a little bit. But, you know, it was one of those things where I was like, that's, I, I knew this was going to be a very schizophrenic with that director. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Kaufman with you on that one because, yeah, he, he can do all that. Yep. Okay, so now we're Hunter S. Thompson's. Mm-hmm. And you had, remind me again? Uh, Rocket Man. Yeah. Taron Egerton. And you had Justin Timberlake. We both, oh, Jesus. I kind of feel like, I mean, in a way, it's very similar. Both people could sing and do shit. Uh, yeah. Uh, yours, I will say yours is a better singer than mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just... I, I, I do feel Timberlake could do it. I do feel like Timberlake could do a good Hunter S. Thompson. Mm-hmm. I think he, you know, again, he can go. I, I think he's more talented of an actor than people give him credit for. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Do you want to push on that one? Uh, I mean, I, I'm tempted to just give it to you because, I mean, you haven't had a win yet, but I, can't, oh, I don't know if I can go no, Timberlake. Don't, don't, 
Do not. Do not do that just because I haven't had a win. Do not, sir. Yeah, we can we can push on that one because, uh, okay. I mean, have you seen Rocket Man? I have seen Rocket Man. Okay. I have seen Rocket Man. I'll be on. I didn't like it as much as you did. I didn't like the movie. I liked his performance. His performance. Okay. Uh, yeah, his performance was good. It was a little grating at times, but I just think that was the John. Yeah, I, so was that's that's a good point. But I also think the movie was a little, uh, yeah, yeah. crap. Yeah, um, cra- so Nixon, Ian McShane, uh, and oh, who was who did you have? Wait, uh, no, we're not doing Nixon. No, we're no, doing we're doing Muskie. Muskie, I have my order mixed up. So I had Richard mm-hmm. Jenkins. You had Woody Harrelson, right? I had Woody Harrelson. Yeah, I'm fine. We can go with Woody. I'm, I'm, I again, I'm not going to defend these too hard. Um, you can have Woody Harrelson for Muskie. I have no issue there. I, I love I, Woody I, Harrelson. Yeah, I love Woody. And Woody's also, he's very political. So mm-hmm. I think he would research Muskie and get in the, really get in the character. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he played LBJ, right? So. Yep. Yep. Uh, Hubert Humphrey. Uh, Todd Packer versus yeah. who? Yeah. Uh, Martin Freeman. I, you can have this one too. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not a, I gotta be honest with you. I'm not a big Martin Freeman fan. Oh, it's, you, you don't have to be. Yeah, not, I mean, I like him in Sherlock. Quite. That's about it. I only I like him in Sherlock. That's about it. You didn't like him in the yeah. British office? In the British what? In the British office? Office? Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was fine for the part. Um, you like Krasinski I, better? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like Krasinski better than I like Martin Freeman. Mm. Oh, me too. But, uh George McGovern. This is the only one that I really like my pick on is Brian Cranston. I forget who was yours. I'm with Jason Bateman. I'm going to give you Cranston because okay. I loved, I love Brian Cranston. Yeah. And then I don't even remember who your Nixon was again, but I'll give it to you. Who was it? Who's Aykroyd? Aykroyd. Yeah. Aykroyd would be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Aykroyd I want to say, did he, didn't he do Nixon on Saturday Night Live? He did do Nixon on Saturday Night Live. Absolutely. He did Nixon on Saturday Night Live. Sure. Okay. Well, he's got yeah. practice then. So that helps. Yeah, and I, he hates Nixon. I think he'd play Nixon um, absolutely amazingly. Sure. I have no qualms with that. Yeah, Ian McShane was just, I didn't, I couldn't think of a good option. I just went with a great actor thinking he could figure it out, and he probably could, but yeah, you know, Ackroyd's a solid pick. You know, I, I will admit, this is a, this would be a very hard one to, to cast and to do. I mm-hmm. think it needs to be done, but in all honesty, I mean... <clears throat> Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas did not do well in theaters. Right. It's one of those cult movies that earned a shit ton of following afterwards mm-hmm. and kind of created this resurgence of Hunter S. Thompson, uh, you know, in, in the 90s. And, uh, um, you know, they haven't, they, they tried to go back and do another one. And it just, I forget what that one was. Um, I saw it. It wasn't very good. Um, Part of the thing is, is that Johnny Depp's Hunter S. Thompson, I love and I hate. And part of it is because once Johnny Depp did that role, he was never the same. Everything that he's done afterwards has had that. Johnny Depp used to be an amazing actor to me and um, one of the best because you could put him in any role and he could just slide in that character. And after doing Hunter S. Thompson... Every character he's done afterwards, if you watch after that movie, he keeps that Hunter S. Thompson style in that character. He, you know, I mean, I, Captain Jack to me is nothing but Hunter S. Thompson as a pirate. You yeah, know, that's uh, fair. 
Um, you know, when Hunter he did, S. Thompson with a mix of Keith Richards, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He talks about it being based on Keith Richards, but it's more Hunter S. Thompson. It's to me, it's way more Hunter S. Thompson than it is Keith Richards. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I that was such an iconic thing, and I think a lot of people have been afraid to touch it mm-hmm. because of that. But really, I cannot stress the importance of what this of what this book is and what this book really means to political journalists. I mean, they have nothing but yes. This is how you have to handle going through and doing these 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 political things. And I think that's been lost because everything he brought out, he pointed out all the hypocrisy, he pointed out all the lies, he pointed out all the issues. And nowadays, in a world full of lies, I I had a conversation with with our friend Joe about this. And um, you know, he brought up the fact he's like, God, I wish Hunter S. Thompson was around to cover Trump. But he said, I don't know if he could do it because how do you make a cartoon out of someone that's already a fucking cartoon? Right. You know what I mean? And all he could do is go for that biting truth and hammer on people. And I think political journalists now have been lost to this. That, you know, they it's become almost like video game journalism where you have to be invited to the party to do it. And it didn't used to be that way. And Hunter Thompson proved how you could do it in, with integrity without being invited to the party. Mm. All right. Well, that wraps up our talk here of fear and loathing on the campaign trail or casting, I should say. Uh, let's take our last break and then we will come back to say our goodbyes. Sound good? Sounds like a plan. All right. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Bobbert Sweet Salt the Second. Hi, I'm Bobbert Sweet Salt the Third. Today we're we're here to tell you about our new store, Coral Island. We got big recorders and small recorders. Yeah, we got wag, we got wag recorders and wow recorders. We got plastic recorders and wood recorders. We got silver recorders and gold recorders. We got organic recorders and non-organic recorders. We got mashed potato recorders. (laughs) Or maybe not mashed potato recorders. (laughs) Anyway, come down to Recorder Island. We got a million stars near you. Welcome back to Cast That Movie, and we are tying up the episode here, Tom. So I think it's about time we tell everybody what are we doing on the next episode. Uh, we will start with the recast. You want to tell them what that's going to be, please? Yes, I will tell them what the recast is going to be. This is something that I personally have wanted to do for a while. Um, and I think we're finally at the point where we could tackle something this much of a fuck-up. Is Kevin Costner's Waterworld. <laughs> mm. An epic fuck-up, if ever there was one. Quite literally, an epic fuck-up. To give you an idea, uh, kind of a a, a tidbit um, for the next next episode, it's known as a fish tar among uh, critics. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so that should be interesting. Uh, The other project we will be tackling 
for the original Dream Project is going to be the uh, we're going back to baseball, Tom. We're going back to the uh, to the diamond, as they say, to the ballpark. Uh, we are going to cast a film about the steroid controversies of Major League Baseball, Ooh. featuring all the big players that uh, were juicing. So that's yeah. where we're going there. That's going to be interesting because uh, I don't know how we're going to get financed for that movie because a lot of people aren't allowed to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to be the associate producer on that one, too. <laughs> Chipping 95 bucks. Chipping my sort 95 bucks to get the steroid movie made. Get Clint Howard to play Jose Canseco. <sighs> yeah, and we'll get uh, Buddy to play Billy Bonds. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that does it for us here on Cast That Movie for this episode. Uh, but be sure to join us uh, in two weeks when we do uh, the projects we just mentioned, Waterworld and the steroids and baseball story. Uh, in the meantime, you can listen to all of our episodes on all of the things. Uh, what are we What are we even on now, Tom? Why don't you list them off? You're the one that so- kind of handles this. Yeah, we're always on the Joe Down, where you can find everything that we do. Um, you know, we, there's other podcasts there that uh, that uh, uh, Joe and I are involved in under under different names, um, just to make it more confusing on you, the listener. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're on um, Spotify, SoundCloud, um, iTunes, um, Google Podcasts, and yeah. YouTube. And YouTube, yeah. So you can listen to us in five different ways. Um, speaking of, let's talk about. Let's plug the other stuff. Uh, what what other podcast do you do over there, uh, Jode? Uh, I do. It's called uh, Bears Beats Bobbleheads uh, Talk in Office, where we are literally going week by week and uh, reviewing episode by episode uh, the seasons of The Office. We are currently. Uh, on to, I believe the upcoming would be season two, episode eight. So that's as far as we've come. And we have a co-host on there, uh, who has never seen this episodes until the day of recording. And that is you. That is me. That is me. That is me. It's been an interesting ride so far. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've enjoyed this though. I, you know, it, 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 for a guy that doesn't watch sitcoms, I'm really enjoying this. Um, Mm -hmm. It's been a, it's been a lot of fun, and I, I think you know what which episode was was the fight where it's just basically us laughing for thirty minutes. <laughs> yeah, so many good moments in that one, that's for sure. Uh, and what about you? Uh, what other projects do you have that are currently happening? Yeah, so we all, uh, me and uh, who's one of the co-hosts uh, in uh, the uh, Office podcast, uh, we do uh, a podcast about Twin Peaks. And we are getting into episode eight of the final season. And then we, so we have about 11 episodes left uh, for that particular podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, sounds like a lot of things for people to listen to. So that's cool. Yeah. I think, you know, again, there's a lot of things that you guys can listen to on the way to work, on the way home, when you guys are just kind of hanging out. Um, you know, on the drive back or, you know, just sitting around on the weekend and you guys don't want to watch fucking maximum overdrive on streaming, um, or on, or on replay on some fucking cable channel. Cause you know, it is at any given point it's playing, turn it off and listen to the podcast guys. Yes, sir. All right. So, uh, we will be back then in two weeks for water world and steroids. Uh, so make sure you join us then. Uh, this is cast that movie. 
Uh, I think it's time we say our goodbye there, Tommy. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.